Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Homelands Adventure Podcast. Storytelling inspired by adventure. Welcome to the Homelands Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Hall, and it's a real pleasure to be joined today by one of the most humble and inspirational human beings that I have the privilege to know, uh, Winter Paralympian, Chris Lloyd. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hiya, Cameron. Yeah, not too bad. You good? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming on the show and having time to chat today. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to, uh, to uh, catch up with you again. You have probably one of the most inspirational stories that I know. Um, and we obviously had the pleasure to work with you um, for the Paralympic Games in South Korea a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, your story is out there and we, we were absolutely privileged to, to tell it. But um, we wanted to take the time now to go into it in a little bit more detail and um, perhaps uh, share your story with a few people that might not have heard it. Um, but before we get into to your journey, I just wonder if you could take us back to sort of pre-September 2011, sort of the year 2011, just, just what life was like and, you know, what you're doing uh, kind of work-wise and, uh, uh, and just give us a snapshot of, you know, uh, uh, life at that time. Uh, yeah, before sort of t- September 2011, I was just yeah working as normal, living the family life, uh, just playing with the kids and uh, bringing two young kids up and living with my partner. Yeah, so things were pretty normal and just yeah just doing normal things really and day to day you know normal stuff. So you're running your own business uh, and uh, and that's going along well, but also you uh, you had a, had a taste for, for for rally car racing. How did that come about? Uh, there was a there was a friend of mine who was working with me at the time, and he was sort of big into the rallying, uh, and he just sort of mentioned about sort of having a go, and we ended up sort of buying a car and just having a mess about and stuff, and then just got the bug and and started doing it then for a couple of years. And can you take us through sort of the the races that you would do? What 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 does a, what does a race look like? What's the the the, the nature of a, an event when you turn up to compete? With the rallies we were doing, they were sort of closed roads. So we go to Ireland and do do an event which is organised. Then you'd sort of recce, so you drive the event first, make your notes, and then the next day, then you'd end up competing. So we travelled to Ireland, we travelled to the Isle of Man, we travelled to Jersey. So yeah, wherever the sort of rallies were, really. And are you racing or navigating? Do you take turns in, in that role? I was the driver. I don't think I'd be a very good navigator, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I was the driver, and then I'd have a navigator who'd sort of sit with me, sort of call the notes with the corners come in, and, yeah, we sort of, we'd work as a team then together. So how, how do you prepare for a race? Uh, if the event in itself is closed roads, but presumably when you're working together to to prepare for an event the, the roads aren't closed so where do you, how do you prepare and where do you go and what do you do prior to to entering an, an event we'd go 
basically uh, we'd sort of book the event. The events are on a, a calendar, sort of yearly calendar. So we'd book the event, and then obviously we'd we'd go there probably three or four days before, and then obviously get settled in, and then start to uh, we'd have the notes and we'd have the route, and then we sort of recce the route, and then obviously make the notes in preparation for the race. Then, so again. Pre-September um, 2011, which we'll come on to, how many races have you got under your belt? How much experience do you have? Are you are you winning races? Are you getting podiums? And um, what stage are you at in your rally car career at that point in time? Yeah, we were just doing, we were part of like the British Tarmac Championship. So we were sort of leading our class at the time. And I think we were probably fifth or sixth overall at the time with the overall championship so we were doing okay it was only our first sort of season we'd done it and it, obviously we just amateurs just doing an amateur sport but like I said it was a first season so we didn't expect nothing but we were doing quite well and uh, like I said we were winning our class quite a lot and we were you know regularly in the sort of top 10 as well so yeah we were doing okay to be honest. And what, what's the, the car that you're racing and how does that differ for the people that perhaps aren't familiar with rally car racing? How does it differ to a, a regular road car? The difference, well, the main difference with the car we, that we were using would be the safety cage that is installed and then everything is sort of stripped out of the, you know, the, the interior and the, and the back seats and everything to make it as, as light as possible so it can go as fast as it can really. So... Like they are the main differences, and obviously the the suspension is upgraded, the engine is upgraded, the brakes, so it's all sort of tuned to be as you know, as fast as it can and, and brake as quick as it can, really. And when you're when you're you're doing well and you're getting on the podium and you're in the top ten, what are the sort of maximum speeds that you're hitting? With the car we were in, we were probably it'd probably be like 120 mile an hour sort of maximum speed. But then when you're going through narrow narrow lanes past trees and and everything else, obviously it feels a lot faster. And it, we were in a 1974 Mark II Escort again, which is quite small. And so it does feel quite fast then as well. Going back to uh, the, 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 the September 2011, you, you enter an event, I guess, preparing for it as you would do any other day, but it wasn't like a normal event by the end of the day. Could you take us back to your earliest memories of um, the race itself and why it was, and, and take us through why it was turned out to be very different to any other race that you competed in the past? Uh, like I said, yeah, it was the same sort of, we had the same navigator and everything. So we were sort of, uh, we went through the first stage, okay, I think we were, we were fourth or, or third, I can't remember, something like that, after the sort of first stage. Uh, we went back out on the second stage and then we had sort of a, a massive accident and the only thing I remember, well, I remember is the car going off the road, having a bump to my head and sort of ended up upside down in a car and I was paralysed from the neck down and that was it really. And what, what was your first memory after the crash? My first memory after the crash was just waking up upside down in fear, really, that I tried to move sort of my arms and legs and nothing would move. And so, and obviously we were, well, we were trapped in the car because it was upside down in a, in a ditch as well. So 
there was sort of no way again out and obviously I couldn't move because I was paralyzed so yeah they, they were the sort of memories I had. Did you lose consciousness at any point in time or, or were you were you aware of the, the crash as it was happening? I was aware of the crash at the start and then uh, we sort of there was a big impact which knocked me out and then the next thing I knew I sort of woke up upside down and yeah, and that was that was that then. And are you aware of how long you were knocked out for? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it would only be a matter of minutes more than anything else. So as yourself and uh, your navigator in the car, um, uh, how are you, are you communicating with him? Is he is he trying to um, wake you up? Is he um, out as well? Um, what was that moment like when you, you, you did regain consciousness and, and being aware of, you know, there's somebody else in the car with you as well. Yeah, I was just because of the fear and, and everything, and obviously you're stuck in the car. You don't know whether it's going to catch fire or anything else. I was just sort of asking him to get me out, to get me out, because he was moving and doing his belts and able to sort of get out. Uh, but then, but obviously, like looking at me from his point of view, he couldn't sort of move me because. He sort of must have known, I, you know, I had a serious injury because I couldn't move nothing. So, yeah, that was probably as much as I could do. And then the sort of within sort of a matter of minutes and the sort of rescue team had arrived then. And do you remember what you were saying to each other at that point in time? Uh, you mentioned that you, uh, the paralysis, um, was that something that you felt you know, instantly that you knew that you were paralysed or was that something that you, you know, obviously learned afterwards? Uh, I, I knew straight away because we were upside down. My hands were sort of dangling in front of me and it was just a surreal feeling that I could see him but couldn't feel him and couldn't move him. So, yeah, that, you know, it's just fear kicks in then that obviously you, you can't do nothing, you can't get out and, like you said, the car could have, gone up in flames and there was nothing I could have done so it was just the fear factor really. So how did you get out of the vehicle? How long were you in the car for before you were removed from it? Uh, it seemed like a lifetime that I was in the car because they had to come, the, the medics come and obviously the rescue came. Uh, they started cutting me out and like I said it felt like a lifetime I think possibly could have been sort of 45 minutes to an hour they they took to obviously get me out because they couldn't move me or risk sort of moving me because uh, it looked like it damaged my spinal cord at the time and so obviously it could have killed me if they moved me as well so it did take a lot of time and I think it would have been sort of close to an hour really. And presumably you're taken straight to hospital at that point for some treatment? Yeah then straight to the critical care in, in Newport then. Which is how far away from where the event was taking place? It probably would have been sort of fifteen or twenty minutes drive to the to the hospital. Um, for the, your 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 um, friend and colleague who's navigating, was he okay? Was he taken to hospital as well? Did he have any um, uh, any of the same um, injuries that you did? He was taken to hospital for a for a check, but he was fine. He he was sitting lower in the car, and the impact of the tree was on my side so he sort of came out okay a bit obviously shaken up with it obviously the accident but uh, injury wise I think he was just a bit, bit bruised and uh, battered really. So what what's running through your your head at this point in time 
um, while you're in the car and, and then and then in the ambulance. Could you take us through what thoughts are running through your mind? I think it's just a lot of fear because there's a lot of unknowns. You you don't really know what injuries you've got. Obviously, you can't do nothing for yourself. And I think it's just the unknown and, and not knowing what the future holds and how serious your injuries are as well. So I think they were the sort of biggest things going through my mind at the time. And so when you're uh, in the hospital, how long does it take to get the diagnosis of what your injuries were? To be honest, I, I can't really remember. I know I had sort of the MRIs and everything, and I think it possibly would have been sort of the day after or maybe two days after that the sort of consultant came in and said sort of compare me to Christopher Reeves and said my life's going to be sort of very different going forward. So, yeah, that was a sort of big shock then from that sort of moment. And, yeah, how did that make you feel? Because Christopher Reeves' accident was... Uh, obviously, Christopher Reeve plays Superman, and and his accident was very well publicised. Um, how aware were you of his story, and what did you think when you heard the medical consultant say that to you? Uh, I wasn't too aware of. Obviously, I, I know he'd had an accident and he was in a wheelchair and and everything else, but I wasn't really you know fully aware of the extent of what he had. But the biggest thing was he did say at the time as well that. I'd never ski again and never drive a rally car and them two things sort of was stuck in my mind ever since coming in that room and telling me things that I loved that I couldn't do again was, yeah, was quite a big impact. Going back to uh, life before the crash, um, uh, active guy, sporty, into the outdoors, what sort of um, things would you be doing outside of, uh, of rally car driving? Yeah, just general stuff, mountain biking with the kids, going up the mountain, playing football, playing basketball, and just generally, you know, sporty and active and, you know, just generally doing stuff with the family, to be honest. And and how old um, were your two kids at the time? Morgan would have been eight, and then Ella would have been, I think she was five at the time. And do you remember what it was like delivering the news to them and how they reacted to the accident? Yeah, I think Ella was quite young and didn't really sort of understand fully what, what was going on. So that wasn't too difficult, but obviously Morgan was that much older, which sort of hit him quite hard, seeing me in hospital and obviously everything taken away. So, like, you know, that was a... a you know, quite devastating for me as well, seeing, you know, feeling like I'd let my children down, let my family down as well, because you know, there was a sense that, you know, I, I've gone and done something and I let them down and I can't, you know, and I know that he was sort of crying, you know, saying, you know, am I ever going to play sort of football or sport with him? So, yeah, that was, you know, really probably the toughest moments, to be honest. And when the medical consultant gave you the diagnosis, what did he say to you in terms of the recovery side of things to to help get you out of the hospital and help to to get you back home? What was he saying to you that you, in terms of what you had to do to to try and rehabilitate? They were basically looking to put me into a sort of special spinal unit to get some sort of rehab and stuff. So 
like that was the main focus. Uh, and then basically there was a time frame of they were saying sort of three years will be the main bit of your recovery, and then sort of nothing much will happen after that. So that was sort of the parameters I was given. When you uh, were you ever told that you would never walk again? Was that some was was that information ever relayed, or or was there were you were you told that with the the right steps that you would be able to 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 recover some mobility? Uh, not really. I was only really told that life would be very different, uh, and like the the things like skiing and obviously the rallying and stuff I wouldn't be able to do again. So, yeah, there was never sort of, didn't ever say, you know, you're never going to walk again, but, you know, basically he said it's going to be very different. And uh, like he said, a lot of the things that I've you know, normally done that I'm going to be, you know, be able to do really. Because presumably, I think a lot of people with that word paralysis, that's the, the automatic thing that they would assume. So even though you weren't told that, was that something that you were thinking in your mind that you 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 might have to, um, as you say, Christopher Reeve, who did spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair, was that something that you were thinking that might be a reality for, for yourself? No, well, once he said I couldn't do something, it was like a determination in my head that, you know, I was going to, prove them wrong and I was going to get back and doing the things I love and that's the only thing which I can you know, set sort of precedence in my in my head and it was just whatever it took I was going to do what it, what it took to sort of get back and, and doing them things. So how do you go about that what sort of treatment are you are you getting and, and what does that rehabilitation program look like? Basically they I sort of got transferred uh after a couple of weeks to the rehabilitation center in sort of uh, in Cardiff. But then sort of during the time I had an x-ray when I was in the rehabilitation center and they found out that I sort of broke my back, which they didn't know about. So after that period, then when they found the sort of x-ray, I, I couldn't attempt any rehabilitation. I had to sort of lay in a bed then for another sort of six or seven weeks to let all the sort of bones and everything heal, uh, just to make sure my back was stable before I could even start to attempt any rehabilitation. You obviously experienced a horrendous accident, and then the, being delivered with that that news that um, that your, your 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 back was broken as well. How did you feel when you received the results of the X-ray? Yeah, it was just another blow, really, and it was. Uh, something I had to come to terms with and just sort of get on with really. There was nothing I could have done. So yeah, I had to sort of deal with it really and uh, just move forward. So when you're, when you're lying there, is it a case, could you do anything for yourself at that point in time? Were you able to, you know, feed yourself and go to the bathroom and things like that? Or did you need help with everything? No, it was basically everything. I couldn't sort of use my hands and everything and stuff. So I was being fed. I was, being moved and so when I was in in the bed it was basically sort of what a catheter in so you could go to the toilet and and everything else was facilitated for you you had to be sort of moved by the uh the nurses and everything and just sort of yeah you were reliant on everybody else to be honest so the accident happened in September 2011 and uh, you've you've touched upon uh 
you know, the, the, the fact that you were told you'd never be able to to race a rally car or ski again, skiing obviously being a huge passion as well. But almost 12 months to the day, I think it was in October 2012, you find yourself in the snow dome in Tamworth, I believe, skiing. So how do you go from being at that point with all the injuries that you had with a broken back to um, uh, not being able to, to to feed yourself to then being in a position to actually be on skis. What what steps did you go through to be able to get to that point? It's all a bit of a blur to be honest, but it was it was a lot of mental focus and uh, obviously the family were coming back and forth and, and obviously giving me massive support. Uh, my brother came. He was living up in Basingstoke at the time, so he came over and sort of gave me some sort of audio stuff and there was some meditation. And so the only thing I could use really at that time was my brain. So I sat, sort of started med- meditating uh, and the phys- a physio that I was seeing at, you know, at the time before the accident, she had told me that, you know, you can rebuild pathways if you've lost them and stuff. So... I had sort of hope because people were telling me that there are possibilities. So the only thing I could really do them times in bed was visualizing my sort of everything sort of working again and, and getting function. And like I said, I'd had movement in my toe and stuff. So I sort of progressed with that. I sort of moved my thumb. So it was just a progression. Once something started moving, I just progressed it, you know, I probably didn't even sleep, to be honest. Every hour, every day, I was just focusing on something working, on something moving, on getting that th- that toe moving a little bit more, getting the thumb moving a bit more. And then once that moved, and then the next finger and the next toe, and it's just, it was just building blocks over weeks, just trying to you know, reestablish everything. When you, um, when you were meditating, is that something that you, you had done prior to the accident or was it something that was introduced to you in in this period of time when you're 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 working you know as hard as you can to recover it's something that i sort of heard about and my brother had spoke about but yeah something that i never really sort of utilized but then at that time that was the only thing i could utilize and yeah we provided a massive tool to help me use my brain to recover really and how important was that for you to have something that provided a mental stimulus while you, you were physically um, incapacitated? Uh, I think that was huge, really. I, I needed something that, you know, I could rely on and, and I can sort of progress with and being able to do these sort of uh, meditations and things. The other things I learned was pain control. So eventually when I was in hospital lying in bed, I was having so much medication I didn't really know where I was or what was happening. So I came off all my medication and I had to deal with the pain then. So I used sort of meditation to help deal with the pain. And it was, uh, yeah, it was sort of when you're up, when your back's against the wall, it's surprising, you know, how powerful the mind is. And was that something that was your, was that a personal choice? Was that something that you said to your the medical professionals that were helping you that you wanted to come off the medication and, and, and take this route? Or was it something that they'd perhaps suggested to you? No, it was, it was all my decision, really. I just wanted to know where I'm at. And like I said, I was getting so many different side effects from medications and hallucinating and stuff with the drugs. I just 
couldn't focus and I needed to focus on for my recovery really. And was there perhaps something that you a particular moment or comment or something that you you heard within the uh, within the the audio books that you received from your brother that that made you think this is the way that I want to go because you know a lot of people if they're in pain will you know understandably want to take the the drugs that they're given to 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 nullify that so to come off the medication and to focus on the mental side um isn't necessarily the route that a lot of people would have chosen to have done so what was it that specifically made you want to take that approach i think the the reason i took that approach is they just wanted to sort of get back in control of what i could control so uh, i was reliant on the drugs and i was reliant on the nursing staff so like if i could get that element back and sort of control what was happening with you know the sort of pain and everything else and then sort of try and focus on the function sort of that was the decision i thought would have been you know the best thing to do really from that moment that you're taken into the hospital to being able to regain um a little bit of element control how how long of a journey and a period was that and was there a particular breakthrough moment that you remember uh there was i think when i was in the original uh hospital before i got transferred i sort of uh, I think it was my thumb or my toe started moving. So at that stage then sort of give me hope then to sort of move forward. And I think that was sort of the key thing. And then, but then obviously in between then I had the the x-ray and the backward step with finding my back was broken. And then it was just, I wasn't able to do anything then. I was just sort of laid on bed rest really for like seven weeks to let the back heal. And so how how do you get to that point of being on skis? And is that something that, you know, are, are you effectively rehabilitated at that point in time? Uh, uh, have you got your your function, your full functionality back? Or is it still a case that you're, you've got a, a real sort of hangover from the accident still and maybe you're pushing the boundaries a bit more than you should be at that point in time? Yeah, this, it's a long road with new, neurology, to be honest, this when I came out of hospital sort of three and a half months after the accident, uh, so I sort of came out, I was discharged in uh, January 2012. So basically I could sort of walk with a, you know, sort of roll in a wheelchair and, and sort of do a few steps and sort of get by. But you know, there was a, there was a mountain to climb. When, when I came home and I didn't have the assistance of the nurses, I didn't have all the hospital facilities around me, which sort of were nurturing me. It was, yeah, that was a bigger shock when I came home and remembering climbing the stairs, getting in and out of the bath, getting up off the floor, like things I couldn't do, which I needed help with, was, I think, the biggest sort of reality check, knowing how far I'd I'd gone backwards. But, you know, in in the same sense, I'd sort of come forward a lot from where I was as well. So... Did you have to make changes to the home as well? Were you having to, uh, you know, sleep downstairs rather than upstairs or fit railings into the house? Or did you have to make adaptions in that sense too? Uh, we were lucky. So we already had railings and stuff in the house. So, uh, and sort of I used the stairs for rehabilitation really. So there was no point in me sort of trying to avoid things. So I was sort of hitting things head on and, 
Uh, we had to put adaptions in the bathroom because obviously I couldn't get in and out of the bath and different things. So we had to adapt things in there for me. But like you said, I tried to keep things as normal as I could because in my head I was going to get back as good as I could really. Can you describe that first session when you are back on skis and 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 and, and what what that was like? When I first got back on skis, it was really bizarre because. It was like I'd never skied before. I, I still was really sort of not very sort of strong in my legs. And, you know, it was just sort of bizarre. I, I had to have a lesson and, and sort of start again, really. And it was, yeah, it was sort of, again, it was just sort of tough when you knew you had the ability before and everything had been taken away. And it was like, you know, I had to start from scratch and, and start again and, I probably done, you know, sections of the runs and had to stop, and then it was so fatiguing, and you know, it takes so much out of it with with having a neurological injury. It was, but I was elated as well at the same time because, you know, I, I sort of told me that I wouldn't ski and I was back on them, so it was a massive mix of emotions really on that day. And having done lots of different sports prior to the accident, what was it in particular about skiing that brought you to that specifically as as a as a driver to help with your rehabilitation? It was it's just such a difficult sport, really. It's a lot of coordination. You're up in altitude, and it's just uh, and just being in the environment of the mountains. I just love being in the mountains, and yeah, I just wanted to get back here because even the well-being feeling of being amongst the mountains just I feel is healing in itself to be honest and from that first lesson how do you then get to the point of starting to compete and and was was competing in skiing anything that you'd done prior to the accident were you recreational skier were you um had you been on coaching courses or anything of those those types or was the racing side something that 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 was new to you the racing side had never done and basically i'd uh, seen posters and stuff when i was in the ski dome with ds uk and different things uh so it wasn't something that i had on my radar and uh basically sort of fell into it with different things and ended up sort of speaking to DS UK and getting involved with different things with them and sort of ended up a bit of a route where I could see a sort of an opening where potentially I could sort of try and ski race. And and why why racing? Because there's there's that element of understanding and appreciating that but getting to enjoy a sport that you enjoyed before and getting back to experiencing that feeling and yet being in the mountains and the wellness and the, but you could still do that without having that competitive side. You could still work to progress to go on holiday with the family and, uh, uh, and uh, ski with friends again. But what was it that made you gravitate towards thinking, right, I want to compete and I want to race. I think I just set myself sort of goals and once I got back on skis, there was sort of a realisation that I sort of proved the point I can get back, I can ski. But then my character is I just sometimes I go over and above what I sort of set myself. So I just thought I'm going to race and then I had to sort of 
set myself a goal that I wanted to get to a Paralympics, and then that was it. Then sort of it, I'd set my sights on that, and you know that was nothing was going to stop me from sort of achieving that goal really. And were, were there other sports that you were looking at as well, or other things that you were doing at the time to to to, to try and push yourself? Um, and 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 or was it just skiing was just the the, the pure focus throughout? No, I sort of. I sort of fell back into skiing, but it, I was looking at sort of other disability sports at the time. So I was going down to, uh, there was like a, a velodrome down in Newport. So it was the, you know, there was the summer then with, with sort of the, Paral- the Paralympics in London 2012. So there was big stuff and big promotion going on. So I thought, oh, well, cycling, you know, would be a good rehabilitation and maybe I can try and get into some sort of para sport of that. but. Uh, I sort of had doors closed in my face uh, and basically with the cycling I was told I was too old and then I sort of went to rowing because it was a local club near me and then uh, I was told I was too short so I was just like banging my head against the brick wall and thought yeah so but then sort of the skiing sort of came and sort of yeah I think maybe them doors were closed in my face for a reason and I ended up I my goal is something I love to win, really. And how old were you at the time of the crash? Uh, testing my memory now. I was 30, 37 when I had the crash. There's not only the, the fact of you're recovering from uh, a really serious accident, um, but also uh, a lot of athletes probably wrap up whatever competition that they're they're competing in and sport that they're competing in around that age. Um, 37 is probably the end of most people's professional sporting career if they haven't finished already. So you, I, I imagine that that in itself is also pretty challenging and tough. Yeah, it is challenging, obviously, my, my age. But like I said, there's no point putting sort of boundaries in, you know, in front of yourself. I, I didn't see age as being a problem. And like I said, if you've got the determination, you know, and the drive to sort of try and achieve something, you just got to sort of go for it, really. And unless you try, you don't really know. So with the rejection that you got from cycling and rowing, did that energy then get focused into skiing? Yeah, sort of the, every time I get knocked back, I sort of dig my heels in a little bit more and try a little bit harder. So, yeah, sometimes like it's not a bad thing having a knockback because it you know, takes your focus a little bit sort of further and, you know, sort of you, you're determined then to prove people wrong, really, to be honest. So, yeah, I don't think it was a bad thing for me. So what what is your physical condition at this point in time? So 12 months after the crash, you're in skis, uh, on skis um, for the first time. What what's the the diagnosis at this stage? How how has your body re- recovered, and what sort of injuries do you still have, and uh, and 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 what are you what are you dealing with in in effect? Yeah, there's with uh, the injury I received, I I damaged my spinal cord at C three C four, so which affects quite a lot of things to be honest. So. Uh, like my muscle function isn't the same, my balance isn't the same. Uh, I've lost quite a lot of feeling, so uh, like not seeing my feet and stuff when I'm walking has sort of an effect on my balance with the proprioception. So like there was a, I don't know, there was a load of things that would affect it. I couldn't feel hot and cold and 
so my temperature regulation would, would throw me out and sort of cause other things to go uh, a bit haywire. Uh, so like I said, there was numerous things going on, which you know, I was still you know, a long way from where I was before the, the accident, really. So coordination issues, the temperature issues when it comes to sport like skiing, that's, the, the, you know, you're dealing with variables in, in weather and temperature all the time. You're dealing with coordination as one of the, you know, the core skills of the sport. Um, and then trying to put all this together into competition. What was it like when you entered your first race and how did you fare? Uh, the first race was a bit of a reality check to be honest I was probably I was in a, in a snow dome in Landgraf and I don't know I must have been sort of 10 or 12 or 15 seconds behind the, the leader so I was a sort of in a 30 second you know course or whatever I was sort of miles behind but uh, yeah it was you know aside that wasn't didn't really phase me it was just the fact that I got to that point and I was actually trying to ski through a course and I, I'd never done so I'd sort of completed another sort of challenge I'd set myself down so yeah it was just more of a buzz to be honest. For a lot of people that perhaps listening and I think a lot of people when they they hear your story and they hear what your condition is like and they think of um, uh, people with disabilities skiing you think of a sit ski but that's not what you do at all. Could you perhaps describe uh, how you ski and and how your your physical sort of condition is on the slope the way i just ski the same as a normal person so i'll ski with two skis two poles uh the thing that i struggle with obviously i haven't got a feeling so it's hard to feel your feet and with the cold obviously you lose a bit of sensation so a lot of the time i've got no feeling in my feet so like my i rely on my eyes quite a lot so that's quite a tough bit and obviously the temperature and stuff you don't really know what's sort of happening so if I get too hot you know it sort of affects my cognitive function you know hitting the bumps and hitting things which disorientates me you know changes my cognitive function so there's just numerous challenges which like I said you know I've never sort of experienced and don't really know how to explain to people but even like the breathing element of because uh, my diaphragm is affected as well because the injury was so high. So I haven't, you know, if I'm not getting the oxygen in again, that affects my cognitive function. So it's just a massive amount of variables which, you know, have a play, play a part to trying to you know, achieve together on a course. And at what point did the Paralympics become a viable option for you? I it probably would have been a year into my racing potentially I think or a year and a half that I was sort of getting a little bit better and getting sort of quicker and then you know, I was you know, in some of the races I was sort of five seconds off you know the best guys in the world so I'd sort of gained you know and, and sort of climbed closer to these guys and so then it sort of yeah potentially sort of started to think yeah maybe that you know, I can do this. And so the accident was in 2011. Um, presumably, we're looking at the next Winter Paralympic Games, which are in uh, Sochi in 2014. Was it a realistic ambition to compete at those games? Uh, I don't think it was realistic for me to, to compete in Sochi, but 
I was still pushing and still, you know, trying my best. And uh, I did reach the qualify the qualification criteria in the December. I think it was before the games, but the squad that the long list had already been selected and everything, or the process had already been done. So, like, I did sort of meet the the selection criteria, but it was obviously too late. But I think I wasn't really ready at that time. I would have sort of competed for the sake of competing, to be honest. But you had the opportunity to go out to Russia with the uh, development squads. What was that experience like in being given a taste of what the Paralympics were all about? Yeah, no, that was a, an amazing experience to go on the uh, inspiration programme and, and go out and see the games and, and, and be part of it and everything and go to the opening ceremony. So, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was a massive part of the journey and it was, again, it was surreal. You know, I was a, as a potential athlete for the next game. So, yeah, it was uh, yeah, an amazing feeling. And that Games for Paralympics GB was, at that point in time, the most successful uh, para- Winter Paralympics that the country had ever had. Um, how much of motivation did you, and inspiration did you gain from that? And, and knowing that the the sport was in the UK was being pushed to new levels. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing to be part of it, and uh, obviously Kelly Gallagher got the gold, got the gold out there as well, which was you know it was amazing for Britain to get a gold in you know winter sports. So, uh, like you said, it was all quite inspirational for me, and, and being part and, and you know seeing the team potentially getting stronger going to the next games was yeah it was sort of yeah. An amazing feeling, really. Having been through um, the Inspiration Programme and with the focus on uh, Pyeongchang in four years' time, you've got that four-year window. What are you doing to try and get yourself into that position? Could you give a sense of um, you know, what it takes to uh, each season to, to, to race and what, what are the races that you're doing? Um, what does that look like? Uh, uh, where are you going? Who are you competing against? Just a little bit of a, a flavour of, of, of what that uh, Paralympic cycle is like to experience. Yeah, basically the, this cycle then, obviously the, the season begins in sort of November. There are sort of summer races, which we don't normally attend, but the sort of season starts in November, then we'll sort of go through to April. Obviously there'll be a lot of sort of pre-season training and going to sort of glaciers in Norway and stuff in the summer as well, training. Uh, and then obviously the competition start in November, so there'd be a mix of sort of uh, sort of we'd be going to Europa Cups and World Cups, depending on our sort of points. Then because the racing World Cups, you need sort of lower points, and then the next you know the lower stages Europa Cup. So we'd be going to sort of them type of races, and then basically racing against the best guys in the world, and obviously. Uh, that was sort of where we're at, really, with it. And presumably because of the nature of your condition and your injuries that you're carrying, you, do you need a, a very tailored, bespoke coaching program to help you? Are, are you are you being coached with a group, with other um, skiers in the same discipline, or are you kind of off on your own, doing your own thing? Uh, with the, with the on-snow training, we were part of, obviously, a team, so we'd have sort of a... Uh, a coach so basically it was uh, it did change scenarios you know through the program but uh, there was probably 
like a male sort of coach who would who was coaching the, the male sort of standings and and sitting, uh, which sort of I worked with, and then the girls had a sort of a coach with it, with them then when they a bit. So yeah, that's how we sort of worked with us at that time. And how confident did you feel throughout the the cycle that you would make the selection for Pyeongchang? Yeah, well, I was no doubt in my head. I sort of was determined to make it, and you know, I had sort of yeah, no qualms, and you know, I was going to put everything in, and I was going to you know sort of make that selection. Really, are you still meditating throughout this period? Are you still using those positive visualization techniques? Is is that is that now become part of your routine? Yeah, the the mental thing is, you know, once I'd started it in hospital, I sort of never never let go of it because I was still dealing with a lot of pain, still dealing with a lot of issues. So it was sort of yeah, in my toolbox really to help me get through sort of hard times and, you know, help me progress in, in good times as well. And so you as things move forward, how are your results developing as you're competing in more and more races? Yeah, the the results were sort of getting better and I was getting stronger and I was sort of uh starting to get into the sort of top 20 in the world and stuff with the rankings. Uh, but then I had a sort of, it would have been the end of 2016. I was uh, racing and doing quite well in some in the speed races and sort of had good points. But I ended up, I ended up tearing a ligament in my knee, uh, which sort of put me out then for... Sort of a couple of months and so I was sort of hitting my peak then where I was uh, you know, I was getting in World Cup races I was getting in the top 10 and sort of you know within sort of a you know half a second off the podium point four of a second off the podium so really sort of starting to push it and then obviously had the injury then. And how much of a setback was that how how long did that knock you sort of back for? Uh, oh that was a massive sort of setback really because with my neuro with the neurological neurological injury it was basically like my body had sort of been thrown a curveball and with the pathways that I'd sort of you know help me sort of find again were sort of all thrown back up. Uh and it was you know it took sort of months to get sort of being able to ski again, but then when I jumped back on skis, it, it felt like I was back to square one when I was learning to ski again because my balance, my coordination, everything had sort of gone back to scratch and it was like I'd sort of lost a lot of stuff that I've already learned. So it sounds like you're almost having to constantly reprogram yourself and you, 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 you're having to go back to go back to basics a lot. Yeah, it's... With the neurology, with the neurology that I've got, I, if I get an injury or something changes, it's like I've got to reset every time and relearn again. So it's just bizarre, but it's just part of my injury. And it's like I said, when something happens, it just takes me, it takes me months then to relearn. You know, something that I've I've already learned. So it's not it's not autonomous in my body anymore. As things are edging closer and closer towards the uh, the, the the Winter Paralympics in South Korea. Uh, how how did that rehabilitation um, go? Were you were you were you getting back to your best? Uh, well, 
once I was able to ski again, it was coming towards a test event in 2017 where I just managed to get be, to be able to ski to go to the test event. But I went to the test event and obviously I wasn't very strong and I was still sort of relearning patterns again. So that didn't go too good and my confidence was down a lot. So really the season, the start of the 2080s, 2018 season was quite tough then because I was sort of, you know, I, I'd gone back a lot of steps and was, was trying my best to get into, you know, get back to my best. But like I said, it was it was quite sort of tough and I had sort of family issues as well along them, them times, which were sort of life-changing as well. So it was sort of a tough time. Really. In terms of the confidence side of things, you're obviously putting a lot of energy and effort and determination focus into this 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 goal of making it to the games how do you keep yourself motivated where do you when you are feeling low where do you where do you you've where do you get your pickups from how do you keep your your, your spirits high and and continue to focus without just you know feeling exhausted by it all receiving these injury knockbacks and and uh, and and having to you know swim against the tide a lot of the time how do you keep your spirits high i think a lot of you know a lot of the the motivation came from my family and like i said i felt like i'd let, I'd let them down when i had the accident and you know couldn't do stuff for them so i just wanted to make them feel proud again and through that sort of you know making your family feel proud of it was is a massive motivation to be honest and you mentioned some difficult times. So in the preparation and, and readiness for the Paralympics, you had a bit of devastating news um, from within the family as you, you're just getting sort of back on track um, with the death of your brother. How did that impact your preparations for the Paralympics? Yeah, so that was at the start of the 2018 season that sort of my brother had sort of taken his life and... That was you know, a massive turning point in my life, losing not just a brother, but you know, a best friend as well. So uh, at that time, I just wanted to quit really and just yeah, give up because, like you said, you know, there's more important things in life sometimes. And but yeah, I was sort of my head was all over the place and I couldn't really focus. And like you said, it was you know, sort of devastating. And he had two young children as well, which you know, sort of was heartbreaking as well so like you said it was really tough times how do you come back from such a devastating loss how do you get back on track and and refocus again i think it was just taking time and sort of speaking to to people and speaking to family and like you said my head was all over the place and you know like you said he was you know he was a best friend as well as a brother but uh like you said, they, you know, people were telling me, look, he wouldn't want him to give up. He, you know, he wanted to come and see who he wanted. You know, he was going through tough times with things in his life. Uh, but like you said, you know, they were telling me that look, he wouldn't want him to just quit. He'd want to, he'd want to see you there. Just so, yeah, I think that was why I continued really because he would have wanted me to to go and do what I'd set out really. And when the call came to let you know that indeed you had been selected for the team. How did you feel at that time? Uh, I was elated really when, when I had the call and you know, got told I was on the team. So like I said, it was, yeah, 
it was a dream at one point, then it was a goal that I set myself, and then you're achieving your, your, your dreams is yeah something that yeah like I said it, it was surreal really to be honest. And what was that moment like when you're you're at the Paralympics, you're in South Korea, you're you're representing uh, Great Britain, and and obviously very proud Welshman as well. And the family are watching. You're in the gates. Does it hit you how far you've come from having such a serious crash with such horrific injuries and everything that you've been through? Are you self-aware at that point in time, or is it just being completely focused in the zone about the the race that you you've got ahead of you, and you know that it's not job done just yet? Yeah, I think when I first got out there, it was it was a realization, and obviously it was you know, tears in when I was on my own. Sometimes just thinking, you know, I can't believe that you know I did actually do, you know, I set myself that goal and, and did get there really. So uh, I did have points, and then sort of then I had to sort of refocus and think, yeah, well I'm, I'm you now. I've just got to sort of do the best I can really, you know, and you know I've I've made it, I've achieved my my goal and my, my dream really so let's go and sort of do my best you competed in the speed events um finishing 20th in the downhill and 25th in the super g which is, is remarkable because you know i had the pleasure to be out there and cheering you on the fields of competition was huge there's so many competitors in your category and uh in the nicest way m- many of them are half your age um and they uh the conditions were were difficult as well with the 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 temperature was actually quite warm out in South Korea at that time and and you're not the first race of the day there's a number of races before you so how did all of that come into play um in, in being aware that you're you know you you mentioned that your your um temperature receptors aren't perhaps as uh, you, you know, tuned as as an able-bodied person. How do you deal with all of the, you know, these variables with the the heat and the the, the perhaps not ideal skiing terrain um, on a race day? I think you just, you know, with skiing, it's changeable anyway. It's, you know, with the light, with everything, sort of changeable. You sort of you just learn to adapt to every sort of situation. So. You said, you know, I put strategies in place, so I had to just, you know, use them and, and adapt. But like, I'm, I'm sort of still learning now, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I just sort of had a plan and sort of put it in place. But I think the most difficult thing is when we were sort of uh, leaving the hotel. I think it would have been probably six thirty in the morning. And then by the time we ended up racing, I think it was maybe midday. So it was a long time, and and I've got to do a lot of rehabilitation before when I get up I just don't move like a normal person I'm quite you know seized up and stiff so I've got to get everything functioning which in the mornings don't could take an hour hour and a half depending on how bad I am so when we're leaving at half a six I was getting up at like quarter five to make sure I had my routine in and I'm not racing till sort of 12 then so yeah like I said they were quite uh, difficult conditions and did you did you feel that at the time were you on the race day did you did you feel ready for it that this was this was everything that you've been working up towards. Did you feel present and in the moment, or did you was it a surreal experience? And and and, and you know, it's it's finally here. Were you, were you able to were you able to enjoy it ultimately? Yeah, no, I like I said, I enjoyed it. It was amazing, but 
like I said, I the knee injury had sort of knocked me back, so I wasn't quite hundred percent. And then uh, there was a couple of other factors which sort of played a part. And then the sort of race I had in my head that I'd been visualizing visualizing for for a year previous to when we done the test event in two thousand and seventeen, sort of uh, didn't really happen because my cognitive function sort of I hit a bump and through my cognitive and I couldn't sort of see the gates when I was skiing down in and I'd lost my cognitive so I couldn't really see where the gates were and couldn't sort of comprehend where I was so yeah it didn't really go to plan but like I said you know it was amazing to get it and actually do it anyway. Well I, I think the fact that you were there in itself is just remarkable everything that you've gone through to get to the point of being in a position to compete for the country is just phenomenal and I, I know that you would disappointed or frustrated with the with the outcome and with the results but how do you reflect back on that now you know more than two years later are you able to enjoy it uh more than maybe you did at the time yeah i think obviously you you, you've got a you've got you know everybody when they compete and got a goal set in their head and obviously when you don't achieve what you sort of think very well what you know you can sort of do is is disappointing at the time, but then sort of looking back and reflecting, I mean, who's been an amazing part of my life, you know, the journey and, you know, competing for your country. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm proud of what I've done and, yeah, just proud to sort of get it and, and achieve what I set myself out, you know, sort of in 2012, really. So I think I'm right in saying that there was another factor at play uh, on the races in South Korea uh, themselves. Could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about the injury that you're carrying at the time? Yeah, when I came back, obviously, I had a physio in the UK who I was seeing quite regular and sort of I had a, you know, some sort of more neurological symptoms, which was sort of, you know, sort of enhanced to what they would normally be. So when I sort of seen her and she was quite concerned when she examined me that sort of my sort of C3, C4, sort of my neck vertebrae were sort of quite a lot out of position where my original injury were really, which were causing sort of enhanced symptoms. So, but I did have a crash in training out in the games where I'd sort of done a somersault and sort of had an impact on my sort of head and neck. So obviously I'd sort of irritated my original injury really when I was sort of training out there as well, which I didn't re- realise how sort of bad it was, to be honest. Which I just I think makes it even more impressive that you 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 finished the races out there and that you were able to you know make it across the finishing line. Um, so it's yeah, just phenomenal um, that you were able to 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 do that, Chris. Um, what are your when you when you look back now? What are your um, standout memories from the games? I think the standout memories are sort of you know sort of the opening ceremony and stuff and just uh you know seeing all that we weren't because we were competing the sort of next day we weren't able to go so we were all sort of sitting watching it on telly so just being out there and you know being part of it all and uh and like I said being in the village and you had sort of North Korean sort of athletes coming in which was yeah, I think, you know, where the people would think you'd see that in sort of our lifetimes really was, yeah, it was quite, you know, that was quite a nice moment as well, which sort of sticks with me as well, to be honest, that you know, sport can be 
more more of an influence than you know than just you know than competing really. And what was it like for you to have your partner Jessica and uh, and your two kids out there with you as well, cheering you on from the grandstand? Yeah, that was yeah probably the one of the most emotional things coming down competing the race and you know what I mean just going over to see him and yeah just sort of yeah feeling you know the tears coming when I finish the race the tears are sort of coming down and then just yeah looking over him and the emotion was huge and I'd sort of completed the the goal and the dream really and you know having them there to you know to see me and be proud of me was yeah was the greatest moment really and uh Perhaps some people might be surprised to uh, to hear this, but um, having suffered such a terrible crash, uh, you're back into rally car racing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, I've like again, it was something I totally couldn't do. So yeah, I, I ended up sort of going back and doing a bit. So yeah, we've been doing a little bit of competing. So yeah, and I've uh, been. In- Enjoying doing, you know, doing little bits of that. To be honest, as well. So, uh, what's next for Chris Lloyd? Uh, at the moment, I don't know. I'm just sort of chilling with the family and you know, spending time with the kids and doing stuff with the family. And yeah, I don't really know. To be honest, you know, probably sort of set myself a goal, something you know, to do probably in in 2021. Obviously, it's difficult times at the moment with. Uh, Obviously, the lockdown and obviously COVID nineteen as well. So, yeah, obviously, just try and keep everybody safe, keep our relatives safe, and you no know, family safe is is priority at the minute. And then, like you said, just get through this these tough times, and yeah, hopefully get back to some sort of normality sooner rather than later. Well, I think if there's anybody who's looking for any motivation um, to go out and achieve their aims and dreams and ambitions once we're out of this or within this um, current scenario it's uh, uh, I think you're you're somebody that they can definitely look towards everything that you've accomplished and achieved and come through to be able to you know be in the position that you are today I think is absolutely phenomenal and it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you Chris thank you so much for your time yeah thanks Cameron great to speak to you 